Welcome to Contrarian Court, the podcast that asks, what if everybody else is wrong? Michael, 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 what a week you had. This week, your band, the Draculas, released an album. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's been a long time coming. Uh, I had heard a lot of these songs before because you gave me a sneak peek like months ago. But um, uh, I bought the album just because to make it official and to have it like in my iTunes and to have it as one set thing. Because I'm an old guy. I don't go with like playlists or Spotify. I need to like own the album and hold on to it. And I have to tell you, no, no joke. In the last two days, I've listened to the album at least, at least 15 times. And it's been some of the happiest moments in this very dark coronavirus i've been literally dancing around my apartment and if you don't know me you don't really appreciate how weird that is i don't dance around my fucking apartment to like music and not with your not with your two girlfriends around the kitchen while you're cooking like what is that a reference to oh yeah yeah no i'm alone in my apartment in in a pandemic dancing around to your stupid shit I'm telling you, it's 12 songs. There isn't a bad song in the lot. And uh, a few of them, I mean, your favorite songs always change. But holy cow, there's like three songs that just blow me away. And, and for the listeners at home, it's uh, Fashion Forward, which is uh, um, uh, the, the, the single. And we've seen the video. Uh, uh, Cafe Hiroshima and and Dark Black. Those three just kind of knocked me on my ass. So congratulations. Thank you so much. Sincerely, thank you a lot because uh, it feels really weird to put out a record right now. And you're just kind of stuck at home not knowing if... I mean, people are emailing and posting Instagram and stuff. But, you know, normally you'd be playing shows. We'd be doing stuff. We'd be handing out physical copies. and But uh, thanks, man. I really mean it. No, I mean it. I mean, I would pump, pimp your shit regardless, but I think you, anyone should be able to tell how sincere this is. So I wanted to – so we have a great show coming up tonight for the apocalypse. We got our friend, mutual friend, Darcy Ratliff on who, who argues that the 1984 cult film Night of the Comet is actually the greatest uh, apocalypse movie ever made. Um, that's coming in and patrons will get that full episode. Uh, guys listening everywhere else will have a little bit less of the talk town session. But, um, even if you're not a patron, you are going to get this opening segment, which is all going to be all about the Draculas because we want everyone to hear about, uh, Mike's, uh, new album. So I want to talk to you first about, uh, Draculas and, um, so, so the, one of my favorite things about the band is that you guys are incredibly, um, you can see a huge number of influences. Many of the songs are incredibly referential, but it's still all a very distinct, unique musical style that is all your own. So I wanted to ask, like, what is the musical mission statement of this band because it, it it seems to have one it seems to have a very set idea of what it wants to be and i just wanted to know if you could put that into words uh i mean as far as like a starting point i think the first record was a little bit more dickies and then and with a little bit of devo and now it's kind of become a lot more devo 
and even, even stuff that's a little bit more mainstream pop of like definitely very 80s uh uh and and lyrically and you know there's a concept to the band where all the songs are take place in a fictionalized uh 1970s new york-esque metropolis uh kind of like the movie the warriors which comes up in the podcast uh but sort of a so in a, your mind, the Draculas are a band that maybe someone could go see in the Warriors movie. Yeah, that they would be this band there, and and specifically more like and so all the songs, every song is written from the point of view of a character in this world. Whether and 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 particularly this record is a there's an arcade called Terminal Amusements that's next to like some sort of Grand Central Station terminal type place. And it's just a big arcade that has a porno theater in the back. And then uh, and then there's sort of like a factory-esque dance club down the way. And just kind of, you know, I pick out these different characters that I sort of see living there and just have them, this song's about whatever it is they're going through. And then the, the music's kind of influenced by that and, and vice versa. Lyrics kind of come from like what things are sounding like. Well, first of all, I, I asked you to send me the lyrics. Um, so I could read them because sometimes it's hard for me to hear. And uh, I gotta say, even lyrically, this album is no joke. I, I really like uh, some of these lyrics, especially. Actually, some of my favorite lyrical songs are also my favorite musical songs: uh, uh, "Cafe Hiroshima," uh, "Fashion Forward," um, and and uh, "Dark Black." But what I what I found is that one of the themes here is, and I might be reading into things. It seems like the band, in a superficial sense, in a presentation sense, like tries to take itself like just by appearance very seriously. But but if you look at the lyrics, there seems to be like almost a kind of a contempt for putting the artists above regular people. Is that am I reading into that? Like you want to black star or, or fashion forward? It, it it kind of seems almost like artist as bully. And an artist as seeing itself somehow above the people. And almost, I get the feeling that the band is almost kind of portraying that kind of messianic kind of rock star is also sign, sort of taking the air out of it at the same time. Yeah, that, that those songs are specifically like around the idea of like an Andy Warhol-esque fame-obsessed kind of character and just what it would, what it, what it would, you know, fame was such like a different beast i think back then than it is now uh and just the idea of what it would be like to be this like art magnet famous guy that's also to to where they're so big that they're almost messianic you know or some sort of a cult right which is hilarious though because you as front man for this group have to sort of portray uh, a kind of a larger than life frontman ego presence with your big dark spiky sunglasses right yeah, and you're like yeah. almost like hitler hair like very severe uh you know like hard cut and uh you're such a kind nice <laughs> unassuming guy so is that hard or are you just oh, no, happens you get into it it's super fun it's really yeah i wanted it to be a lot more you're really different from Riverboat Gamblers have my other band that's been around for like 20 years and this band only three or four or something like that. 
and uh, and started off very like, yeah, we're just kind of side project. And now it's a lot. Now I do this band more than Riverboat Gamblers. But Riverboat Gamblers was very much like we're just a bunch of guys with uh, jeans and T-shirts who get up and jump around and have fun and kind of crack jokes. But there wasn't very little performative theater character stuff. And this I, I knew that this needed to be completely different from that because Gamblers had a little bit of success and uh, I, I just knew that this project needed to be as different as possible, but I also didn't want to be like a shoegaze or, or whatever. So yeah, I, I, no, I super, I enjoy it. It's in fact, it's kind of easier because you don't, you kind of already know what that person would say or how that person would act, no matter how you as a real life human being would film. It's kind of like an acting gig or something. It's really fun. So what, what is the, what, what things motivated the look of the band? A little bit of I I keep kind of going back to like the very very first era, but before it was even rap music, when it was kind of like just hip hop, like before it was even hip hop, when it was like um, Africa Bambata and that kind of look. Um, we kind of keep going to that, and the main thing was I wanted it to be something that is not like ridiculously hard costume wise. That's not ridiculously hard to find, but also right. something. You want to be yeah, exactly. You don't want to. And funny enough, Zach, that is the co-writer of all this stuff. He was in Guar for a while. Oh, he, he, he's like played on a bunch of Guar records. But the main thing was like, you know, I wanted to be a costume, something that, something that's accessible and easy to get, but also something that, unless somebody was going to the show that was like, I really want to dress up like the band, that nobody would be like accidentally. Because a lot of times, definitely in the gamblers, like most of the crowd is dressed as we are dressed, you know, like, right. and, and that's a, a lot of bands, um, which right. is fine. There's nothing at all wrong with that. But I knew I, I knew this like I wanted it to be like something that nobody was just going to casually be looking like. But also, you know, I also can't afford, you know. A, a $2,000 suit. You know, I can't dress <laughs> right. up like Nick Cave every every night. Right. So speaking of the look, there's like this famous band photo, right? With like the three guys in front and like you're standing behind them with like your um, incredibly long uh, skinny arms uh, outstretched sort of like uh, the mother alien at the end of uh, Close Encounters. And my question is, um, do you have any regrets about having your arms uh, surgically stretched beyond human proportions? And what made you think that would sell records? Well, I, I knew for a fact that nothing uh, physically about me is going to sell records. So why not make it look fun and silly? And right. stretching wise, yeah, like it just, you know, it's really easy, man. Just don't ever put any muscle mass on your arms. That's all you Yeah, but the do. thing is, like, you're tall, but even if you weren't tall, you could probably still reach like really tall light bulbs because yeah, oh, your arms. Yeah, I'm a big, I'm a, my wife, it's probably my most attractive quality to my wife who's not tall that i can reach shit if you weren't tall your knuckles would be constantly dragging on the ground is what i'm trying to say no they do your arms are so long um before we uh before we turn to the episode i just well one question what one one surprising thing for me about the album was the band's um i was surprised by the band's deep embrace of uh the alt-right (laughs) <laughs> uh, with its lead single "Fascism Forward," and uh, how did Stephen Bannon and Ben Shapiro inspire this single? <laughs> just, we just, uh, yeah. Uh, I just wanted to be in the room with the shortest, 
ugliest guys you know like it's it's supposed to be like you know draculas are monsters what's what wayne what's the most monstrous creature in the world right now well it's it's a it's a it's a kind of boggy you know i came out of the swamp dungeon steve bannon with and then with you know a little you know some his little troglodytes a little charlie kirk and a little ben shapiro just kind of Bouncing oh, around. oh 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 sorry to interrupt you it's it's i guess i misread that it's it's fashion forward oh okay well you disregard forward. what i said then actually oh so so the lyric i am the creator the alpha the alpha prime innovator that's not about jordan peterson <laughs> okay, oh, there's, okay. There's I, that. that's sorry I was preparing quickly. I, I misread the notes, but but seriously, uh, we tried to make try to make it a little funny. Um, the album is fantastic. Uh, seriously, the album is fucking fantastic. I hear it sounds only like itself, but I hear Future Heads. I hear Sex Pistols. I hear Billy Idol. I hear uh, New Pornographers. I hear Devo. I hear uh, everything that Mike said. But that's not to say that it sounds like a bunch of derivative, uh, different sounds when it all sounds completely holistic and it doesn't sound like any specific song by any of those bands it's just music clearly made by guys who know exactly where they come from and exactly what they want to do and it's fun as shit and i can't wait to see you guys live oh thank you so much i can't wait to be seen live i'm telling you i'm real real horny to be on a stage right now it is uh the lack of attention is starting to hurt well sure for all of us so it's time by the way so follow us on twitter we gained a bunch of followers recently uh, at contrarian court and uh join our patreon uh i know a lot of people are hurting financially uh mike and i are hurting financially uh so i get it if uh if uh if times are hard now, we did lose some some uh, patrons recently. Now we are down to sixty nine. Hey, nice. nice. Um, we'd like to get it back up to a hundred. Um, so check that out. But now is our longtime friend, uh, Darcy Ratliff. Darcy Ratliff goes by the name Kitten Pants. She is a writer, producer, and human female. She is the former editor of the comedy website kittenpants.com and founder of the annual Comedy Writers Retreat, Camp Kitten Pants. And she's told me to say, I am jealous of her. But I am because she knows me, which is really the best. And she probably also owns the uh, new Dracula's album. So you should be jealous of her. Anyway... Here she is arguing that 1984's Night of the Comet was the greatest apocalypse film of all time. From the dawn of time, the majority has spoken in the court of public opinion. But there are those who refuse to bend to the will of the people, those who stand alone. Their cases are brought here to Contrarian Course. 
Um, all rise. Contrarian Court is now in session. The Honorable Wayne H.R.Q. Gladstone presiding. Those are none of those are my middle initials. And uh, Chester, it's good to see you. But I believe the D, the the uh, World Health Organization has upped the distance from six feet uh, to twenty seven feet. So if you could take eighteen giant steps back, I would be much appreciated. The who? Yes, exactly. Waka waka. <laughs> Send in the contrarian, Ms. Ratliff. You stand here accused of being a contrarian. A contrarian who believes that, unlike the good people of this state, the small, low-budget, 1984 cult film Night of the Comet is actually the greatest apocalypse movie of all time. Is this true? Uh, mm mm-hmm. Your Honor? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a stenographer you can't see here. Uh, it is it is a woman though, so I'm not being sexist by assuming. Uh, and she can't take down nods, of the heads, or mm-hmm's or uh-huhs. So we'd ask you for a, a yes or no going forward. But before we do go forward, contrarian, for those of us in the audience um, who are under 50 years of age, I just want to do a, a quick rundown of Night of the Comet. Uh, its protagonist is a girl who were 18-year-old girl who works in a movie theater. She likes video games. A comet comes. Just about everyone dies, except for a few people who become zombies first, and very few people are left in the world, and she goes about her survival story. With that backdrop in mind, please explain to this court and the good people of the state why you would exalt this film to such a high status. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to uh, prove today, beyond a reasonable doubt, that Night of the Common is the greatest apocalypse film of all time, for a number of reasons. It's a sci-fi masterpiece. It's a rare feminist paragon. It's a critical darling, receiving a 77% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes by critics, and a 79 79- of the reviews on Amazon.com are five-star reviews. It also Mm -hmm. inspired Joss Whedon to write the character Buffy Summers for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, Objection. Uh, Anything that inspires Joss Whedon should be stricken (laughs) from court. That's true. Wasn't Joss Whedon also inspired by just feet in general? And I wouldn't call feet maybe the best body part of all time. Um, I think you're confusing him with Quentin Tarantino. Uh, they both have that malady. But moving on, go ahead. Listen, uh, facts not in evidence, so object- objection. Uh, anyone who saw the uh, Firefly movie knows that this fact is absolutely in evidence. The court is taking judicial notice of Joss Whedon being an equal foot creep with Quentin Tarantino. But please proceed. Uh, anyway, I'm going to argue that today. I'm going to prove it. And you're gonna suck it. Yeah, but, but why? Statement. Why? Yeah, I agree. This court agrees it has a strong female protagonist. Its court also agrees that it has a 77 on Rotten Tomatoes, and that it inspired Joss Whedon, uh, in addition to probably dog shit politics, to to do his his creative career. But why is that exalted above every other apocalyptic film ever made? <sighs> okay. Do you want my evidence? You want my list? No, of I reasons? want. I, yes, I'd like some reasons. All right. 
1984, you've got a film that passes the Bechdel test before the Bechdel test was even a test. It's rare. Two female leads uh, and uh, another hero of Mexican-American descent actually played by a Mexican-American actor. Uh, so really just like shooting above and beyond our current standards. Um, it's an apocalypse movie which, um, compared to all other apocalypse movies, is one that is... Uh, presents a world in which the apocalypse is not our fault. It's not caused by a virus or an experiment or a nuclear accident or global warming. Uh, in fact, uh, it's not a commentary on our morals. Uh, in fact, it's very sex positive, includes uh, instances of premarital sex. Well, let's, let's hold on. Stairs, you're, you're, anal, you're coming at us so anal. fast. And- <laughs> We're, we're, you're coming what? at us so fast and furious. Wait, wait. Let's let's go right there. I don't remember anal in this film. What, where was the anal in this movie? There was a reference to anal and a suggestion of it in the uh, sc- uh, screening room. What's it called? The projector room at the movie theater with between Larry and Regina. Yeah. Well, we know they. I mean, to use the the parlance of the times, bone. Uh, but wh- why why is it anal? The movie was making it. Larry. There was a but, moment. But, there was a moment in the film when he was doing some stuff behind her under the covers. Uh, she let out a loud squeal and said, "Oh, so that was the imp- oh, okay." <laughs> it was right. implied anal. Implied anal. Okay, let me back up. Can I let throw out a, a, a trivia thing? That guy Larry is the the creep who's been uh, taking advantage of Uma Thurman's dead body in uh, in uh, in in Kill Bill. Kill Bill. Yeah, it's oh, Michael Bowen. Hi. Thank you, thank you for that uh, factoid. It will not help you at all on your side of the case. I don't uh, need counselor. it. I don't need but it. But I need I need to break this down a little bit. Yes, it it is a strong female protagonist, and that two. is to its two. credit. It is well, it's two female females leads. leads, but not two strong female leads. The other one just seems to be a cheerleader who only cares Objection. about boys. Objection. That's an incorrect. She cares about a lot of things like Pep Squad and uh, her friend Karen. Uh, she's also on Pep Squad, not a cheerleader. So get your facts straight, Your Honor. Okay, um, okay. But also the I'm strong... sorry, but have, uh, are you able to uh, fire a MAC-10 and uh, kick a zombie? be cops ass okay i guess the little becky one did that too okay yes the the, the but the older sister seemed a little bit more bi- badass but moving on as far as a strong feminist message uh what does it say uh to the women of the world all the young impressionable uh uh girls of the 80s uh who are now speaking to the manager today that in the midst of a mass genocide, an apocalypse, one of the first things these things these girls think to do is, hey, let's go to the mall. Is that really a strong feminist message? First of all, that's not one of the first things they do. They do several things before they do that, your honor. Second mm-hmm. of all, uh, sometimes you need to relieve a little stress under the circumstances of you're the last two fucking people on earth. And third of all, women be shopping, deal with it. <laughs> let me, let me ask you this other, you brought up another interesting point. You brought up an interesting point, which is it wasn't humanity's fault. And that I think is very interesting. And that does distinguish this film from many other uh, apocalypse movies. But my question is, why is that an advantage? Why does that make this a better film, the fact that it's a merely cosmic, comet-based occurrence rather than acid rain? 
because it's not so fucking depressing and guilt-inducing. It celebrates American values of consumerism, guns, fashion montages, uh, video games, you know, good stuff. The good stuff. I see. So this is a film and film Ronald Reagan could have gotten behind. Yeah, it also it proves that, you know, while scientists can be smart, they can also be dumb assholes. So, you know, you don't have to take their shit. Okay. That's All right. Why, that's I mean, why we'll, I've we'll, been we'll going have... out in public lots lately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike and I have been open mouth kissing while while holding hands. Um You wish. So so I, I, well, yeah, get me a step ladder. I'm all over step ladder. I'm all over that. But, um, so, so we will have more time through your evidence and in uh, talk town to discuss things, more discursive, elaborate points. But before I turn it over to the counselor, is there any other like quick little zinger point that you want to add to your checklist of things that makes this better than Roadrunner, Terminator, Children of Men, every other shitty film that doesn't involve mall shopping? Well, first, I just want to point out that you mentioned Roadrunner for some reason. <laughs> Road Warrior, Road Warrior. But, but you know what? You know what? I got to say, there's only two characters in all of Roadrunner, which is fewer characters than all of this movie, which where humanity is supposed to be virtually extinguished. So for all we know, Roadrunner is not only an apocalypse cartoon, but actually the greatest apocalypse cartoon because it doesn't blame mankind for anything and has lots of violence. So by your own logic, if, as long as we made Roadrunner and Coyote chicks wouldn't it be the greatest apocalypse movie of all time i think by your own logic you're high as hell right now there's no way that roadrunner is an apocalypse anything move on Uh, please listen you've clearly never had an anvil fall on you (laughs) counselor do you you've heard what the contrarian has to say she finds this simultaneously incredibly woke and yet incredibly uh, embracing of uh, Reagan's 80s and those two things not in conflict coming together to um, make objection your honor uh, consumerism and to... consumerism and guns that's Reagan's 80s that's not just Reagan's 80s that's America your honor and I would thank you to not put words in my mouth uh, the court takes judicial notice of Reagan being synonymous with America uh, I don't agree I'm just going to, I'm, you know, you, you keep up this contempt of court. I'm just going to, I'm just going to make the lightning round impossibly hard. Have you ever, uh, find anyone? Girl? No. no. <laughs> Moving over to the counselor. You've heard, uh, the contrarian say things in her own words, which I will not paraphrase for. I might get a, a tongue lashing. Please do your job. Yes. Well, uh, the, is it 1984? 1984 it is. film. Thank uh, you for preparing for court. Uh, yeah, objection. Uh, get your shit together. Film, uh, Night of the Comic, while being a very fun apocalyptic film, apocalypse film, is by no means the best. Uh, it, it borrows from uh, several unlikely sources, and uh, and it, it, it kind of becomes two movies... At the same time, the first half being a sort of uh, uh, teen version of uh, what's fun, although with the classic 1980s trope of everyone playing that's 18 years old is actually 24 or 26. Um, right. But uh, but and then the second half just becomes kind of a kind of a, I don't I don't know, a, a breakout zombie uh 
mad scientist. We ran out of money and we could only afford one location and bad lighting film. Uh, so, I mean, you know, you look to really kind of like the paragons of apocalypse filmmakers. And I would say Road Warrior or Dr. Strangelove, probably the greatest uh, apocalypse film of all time. Or, but, you know, but Children of Men. Children of Men, I was going to throw in there as well. Or even uh, the, uh, some of like the art film movies like Last Night and uh, the, when it was kind of poorly remade into that Steve Carell. Kira Knightley version, but there's a really good version of that. Which hey, you- hey, 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 I think you're referring to Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, which was not a remake of that, and which is an excellent fucking movie. I mm. would say uh. it's uh, I would say it's a, it's not a remake per se, but it is thematically and almost in every way a remake of Last Night. I'm, it, uh, I'm sorry, can I have Jack for just a second and interrupt? Uh, how many times, uh, Your Honor, have you seen Doctor Strangelove? Uh, about six. And how many times have you seen Children of Men? Ten. Mm-hmm. And how many times have you watched that dumbass Steve Carell movie? Uh, about five, which is great. And also Loreen <laughs> Scarafaria, who wrote and directed, follows me on Twitter, and she's my very good friend, even though we don't <laughs> talk or hang out. But I, it is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, okay, well then, uh... Is your point, Counselor Contrarian, that you've seen Night of the Comet 800 times? No, my point was just that I can't believe you've seen that movie five times. Nor can I, but... Well, I cry every time (laughs) when all I need is the air that I can breathe comes on. And it's very touching. Going back to you, uh, Counselor, you said something earlier that this movie was a lot of fun. Uh, could you go back and explain why and what fucking way and how it's fun at all? Well... I mean, some of it, it's hard to watch for me to watch this movie without putting my, uh, taking out my nostalgia covered colored glasses. Because, lotion, lotion and tissues? Well, I will say that a young Mike Weeby had a very big crush on Kelly Maroney, who played the cheerleader in there. In the, uh, That's right. And is Kelly Maroney in Dr. Strangelove? No, she's not. <laughs> Uh, okay, I I, the court warned. again. I'm doing. I'm doing. A, I'm doing a lot of judicial notice this round, but the court takes judicial notice of the fact that this film is easier to masturbate to for a heterosexual <laughs> or a lesbian than Doctor Strangelove. But right. again, I still don't think it elevates it to the uh, greatest apocalypse film of all time. Well, it please, depends please on if you're ready counselor. to uh, masturbate, because if so, I bet you're not putting on Doctor Strangelove or fucking uh, Children of Men. <laughs> I I didn't laugh in this film one fucking time. Well, yeah, but so. that's because you have a record of t- having a terrible sense of humor. Uh, you this is you know now we're, I'm going to save this for Talk Town. I'm going to make a little note and I'm going to save something in Talk Town that's going to be vindicated. Now let's turn this back to the counselor. Final points in. Final. Points so far, in all you've said that, is it's not as good as five other movies, and that the second half is not like the first half. It does. While conceding it inexplicably that it's fun. It doesn't. Uh, uh, expound on the whole apocalypse scenario as to what you know life is going to be like, and and just a counter argument, I would say at the end, uh, both of the ladies have to get saved by the male protagonist. And then, um, sure, objection. The sure, getting married and finding a boyfriend seems to be the end game. That it's okay if the world ends as long as I got a dude. Doesn't seem very feminist to me. I don't really read it that way, but I do, again, want to stress that the movie is sex positive, and if ladies want to get laid and have that on their mind, then I think that's okay. 
Counselor, do you want to finish your argument before um, the contrarian steals your thunder again? Just, uh, just that the uh, we we we've we've had fun with this very niche '80s kind of genre bending apocalypse movie, but a true apocalypse movie, it is not. Before I turn this to the evidence round, Counselor, um, do you want to talk about the fact that even though uh, the whole world stopped working and only about twenty people are alive on the entire planet, that like all the running water and electricity and even streetlights still seem to work? Did that not bother you in any way? Uh, well, I, I figure some of that stuff might stay on for, uh, for a week or so. Time's a little, it's, it's a little, it's a little loose in this film. Look at your, What's going on? Look at okay, your let's turn to getting the, ev- decimated. Hmm. let's turn to the evidence round. Uh, contrarian, have you brought some evidence for this card? Well, I brought a clip of just, uh, in general, ladies being badass and also a demonstration of what it's like to be a woman in the world anytime a strange man approaches you. There we go. For the folks at home, it's a black zombie. What is this, trick or treat? Come here. What? Come here. Come here, your ass. (laughs) Haha, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> is that the anal reference? Uh, look, Come here, your ass. I don't know what your scene is, but don't do anything stupid, okay? <sighs> no, you don't seem to understand. I've been trained to take care of myself, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to hurt you. Oh, shit. <laughs> All right. All right. So that's early in the movie when uh when she meets her first zombie and she threatens she warns him and then she kicks her ass and rides off on her motorcycle and uh how does this help your case well uh first of all she kicks ass and rides off on a motorcycle so that's pretty cool i think um Mm -hmm. agreed agreed and i think it's a great example of uh just you know an everyday it's like an example of the me too movement before there was a me too movement of how everyday women have to deal with unwanted attention by male strangers and uh in this case you know it's like a revenge fantasy in which the woman gets to kick his ass and uh, scoot on off on a Harley. Oh, I must have seen. I see. I thought he was just trying to eat her because he was a zombie. I didn't realize he was trying to tell her to smile more. It's the same thing, Wayne. <laughs> same thing. Same thing. Uh, strong point. Uh, good, good. Good evidence. Solid evidence. Good scene. Uh, contrarian counselor. Did you bring any evidence I here? I did. Today? I did. And would you like to set it up or should we just let it rip? Let it rip. And uh, I mean, I'll just say that it's, uh, I'll, you know, this is not the best. I was just going to say, Night of the Comets, not the best uh, apocalypse film. There are many films that are better, but this is a trailer for literally the best apocalypse film. It's time to change history. Unbelievable. The whole world turned upside down. What if? This is insane. People don't just disappear. What's next? Huh? You knew. The people are missing. Dozens of seats empty. What's going on, Captain? This. Come on. How do you hide from something like this? 
So that was certainly an incredibly long and very boring clip. Uh, it killed our podcast, and anyone who was listening has now shut off. But how does it help your case? Uh, it helps my case because it is the only apocalypse movie that's based in truth, in true, <laughs> absolute truth. Uh, it's a scripture. It's written. I, uh, Objection. It, 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 one second. One second. I, Contrarian. I. It is yes. it's based based in truth. Uh, factual. Uh, there's a book uh, called the Bible. Uh, I know. See, but I know they didn't the, say the... based on the Bible. They said it yes. was. But contrarian counselor, they didn't say it was based on the Bible. They said it was based on a New York Times bestseller. Were they referring to the Bible? Yeah, no. Bible's the number one book of all time. Like it's the best-selling <laughs> book of all time. It's called the good book. They call it the good book. Uh, before moving on to the lightning round, I want to give the contrarian a chance to respond to this evidence. Uh, I just want to say I think the greatest book um, of all time is about an internet apocalypse. It's definitely not the Bible. Oh, wow. Wow. And you know what? They didn't get to make a movie of it uh, because Netflix wanted to buy it and make the protagonist Mark Zuckerberg and move it to uh, San Francisco and have it called Disconnected. And I didn't sell it. Uh, so that's the move. That's what it would have happened if everyone made my book into a movie. But uh, we're very all, nice. And we're all worse off for it. We're all worse off for it. Your yeah, Honor. We, are worse off, we are worse off for it. I did actually have a nice meeting with Warren Littlefield once, though. Name drop. It's time for the lightning round. The lightning round is a speed round where speed counts. Some of the questions in the lightning round may seem subjective, but as this is a court of law, all subjective opinion is objective truth. Contrarian, are you ready to play? Uh, probably. Writer-director Thomas Eberhardt, mm -hmm. writer-director of Night of the Comet, went on to write and direct a sequel in a famous movie franchise. Name it. Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. One for one. This contrarian celebrates Eberhardt's entire catalog. That's right, I do. This was his uh, okay. first uh, directing, his directing debut was right at the That, is, that is correct. That is correct. Now, question number two. There was a runner-up for the little sister role. Uh, she didn't get it. She was the runner-up. But she went on to also star in one of the most important horror movies of the 80s. Who was the actress who ran runner-up? Mm, was it Nancy from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street? I don't know if it was Nancy because I forget. Does that mean the protagonist from Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah. Then you are correct. I will accept that it is Heather Lagenkamp is the actress, best known apparently as Nancy 
from Nightmare on Elm Street, also featured in Wes Craven's New Nightmare. You are two for two, and I think you may even go three for three. Remember, this is Contrarian Court, where my subjective opinions are objective, binding, legal truth. So the question is, what is the best moment in this movie? Uh, It's the improvised on-set part in which... uh, Kelly Maroney is shooting an Uzi or a Mac 10 and it um, jams. And then she improvises the line, daddy would have gotten us Uzis. Second, it only, it may be a close tie with the new wave villain in the shopping mall. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm looking down at the precedence and case law. That is incorrect. No, I thought you were going to get it. Uh, the best scene in the movie was actually what you picked for your evidence, because at that point, she's backing away from a zombie, and she says, hey, man, don't mess with me. I've been trained to do things, and you think it's like every other hack film. We're like, back off, man. I know karate. But it turns out the bitch knows karate, and she actually does fuck him up. And that, to me, was by far the best thing in the movie. Movie. That was the only time I went, oh, hey, I didn't see that coming. That's pretty good. Pretty I, neat. Could I respond to that? Um, maybe you just assume that she doesn't know how to kick ass, but I had no problem believing it. Uh, well, I called it the best moment in the film, but if you want me to take it away, that's fine. Neither went, you went two for three of a yeoman showing for a contrarian and or a girl. <laughs> um, <laughs> counselor, are you ready to play? I'm ready. Night of the Comet star Catherine Mary Stewart starred in another 80s sci-fi cult classic. Name it. Um, started in another 80s. Mm, I uh, could name it. Well, we'll see if we'll give you a bonus point, but it's his um, question now. No, he gets no, to do it. No, 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 I'll give you a hint. No, don't. <laughs> okay, uh, I won't give you a hint. Um... I think she was like had a bit part in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. No, I don't know if she did, but that's not what I'm talking about. Mm. It's a sci-fi. That's not sci-fi. Oh, sci-fi. Uh, was she, she wasn't the first. <laughs> Mike thinks that teenagers getting laid in high school is sci-fi. It is. Uh, if you're me. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, also, Kelly Maroney was in uh, Fast Times. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, was she Five, four. Uh, she would be the first girl in Back to the Future. The no. fir- the not replaced. No. You, you, uh, contrarian, would you like to take a guess? Uh, she was in the last Starfighter. Yes, she was oh, in the yeah. last Starfighter, which, in my opinion, is actually a much better movie. Okay, moving on to Contrarian. Probably the biggest star, quote unquote, star in Night of the Comet is Jeffrey Lewis. You might know him from the Clint Eastwood Any Which Way But Lose movies. He was in Salem's Lot. He's a fairly famous character actor, and he played the most evil of the evil scientists. But he has a famous daughter as well, who's an actress. Name her. Jeffrey Lewis has a famous actress daughter, also sort of a musician in quotes. Is Jenny Lewis his... Is it Jenny? Oh no! It is Juliet Lewis. Oh, oh my it's God! It's his daughter. Holy shit! Yeah. Holy yeah. Shit. So now you've got two wrong. Uh, you can't beat the contrarian, but maybe you can get one right. Also, I knew that one. I, I knew you would. Yeah, I saw <laughs> Juliet Lewis open up for Chris Cornell like ten years ago. It was um not good. Okay. What is the worst 
moment in this movie? Um, the worst moment in this movie. Would... Remember, this is Contrarian Court, where my subjective opinions yeah. are objective truth. Definitely the worst moment is when it's over, because <laughs> there's no more movie left. There'll be there'll be no points awarded for cutesiness, contrarian. Um, um, the worst moment. I, I would just uh, the the bad action blocking at the end. Oh, no, um, I know the contrarian won't agree with this because uh, she was just praising the bad. Uh, new wave bad guy in the mall, but there's a scene where we get to know a little bit more about the new and inexplicably. inexplicable presence of the bad guy in the mall when he takes off his sunglasses and apparently for reasons unexplained has no eyes just two black holes in his head yet apparently is not blind they're not holes it's just dark circles around his eyes because he's been somewhat exposed to the comet he's a comet zombie there were no eyes in there he he has white eyes but they're like mm-hmm. all they're like hollowed out. I know that the zombie the zombie guys have the sunken thing with the raised cheekbone, but he it was just all black. Well, he was already goth before that, so it affected him differently. Well, okay. Uh, well, I still find his character annoying as fuck, and I'm going to say everything dealing with his character was the worst thing in the movie. Uh, it certainly wasn't the blocking. I didn't come here to give you a quiz about action scene blocking. How dare you? But now I think we're going to get to the point of the show that the contrarian is going to be more comfortable in. There's no such thing as rules or formality or judicial respect. We can just take off our role. She's not the contrarian. I'm not the judge. You're not the counselor. It's just Mike, Darcy, and Wayne. Three people sitting around as equals on beanbag chairs. The jazz is playing lightly in the background. No, The drinks are rolling. And let's go to... Talk Town. So, Darcy, how uh, did you see this movie in the movie theater when you were a little girl? Um, I don't think so. I think it was on cable like a million times a day, and I saw it every one of those times. And did you love it instantly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what, was, I mean, was the I, fact that it was badass chicks a big part of the appeal? It probably didn't register that way to me as a you know 10-year-old or whatever, but um, I... I definitely, when I was that age, wanted to be a, a grown... I wanted to be a teenager more than anything. A lot of the movies I liked as a kid, like Jaws 2 was a favorite movie of mine because it was like teenagers that got to go out sailing and making out with boys. And even though it was mm-hmm. a horror movie where they get eaten by a shark, like that didn't register to me. <laughs> you know, that the doofy, the doofy boy from Jaws 2 went on to be like way too old to play the college freshman and back to school. Um, that's Keith Gordon. He's not a doofy boy. He's my hero. Well, he's, he played a doofy character in Jaws 2. He was like the sad sack one who like girls don't like. Oh, okay. That was the character. I'm not, oh, <laughs> I'm not besmirching his identity <laughs> as a human being. He played like the kind of loser, glasses, bespectacled, nerdy character in that movie. Okay, but I just think he's awesome and I love him. So. Oh, oh, okay, but like if I call Urkel a nerd, you don't have to defend whoever the fuck plays Urkel. Uh, oh my God, Jaleel White. Come on. What are you doing, Wing? I don't know. I don't know the actor's name. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not acceptable for us to get take umbrage with you confusing Jaleel White and saying that 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 Stephen Urkel Stephen Urkel is a nerd. Jaleel White's okay, but if you were to call 
Stefan Urkel a nerd, well, you we would have problems. We'd have big problems. (laughs) Stefan Urkel is when Stephen Urkel takes the magic uh, nutty professor potion and it makes him very cool. Okay, I missed that episode. And uh, oh, it's, it it's like, more than one episode, Wayne. They I, brought oh, Stefan or I didn't back watch. I didn't watch. Uh, I didn't watch Family Matters. So, in the in response to the question, did I do that? If the question is watch Family Matters, the answer is no. <laughs> I did not. I guess this but, is not Family Court. No, but Mike, your sound wave is fucking huge now. Were you just really close oh. to the mic and getting excited for that? You see how big you fucking were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's getting really big. High five, Darcy. <laughs> all right, all right. Whenever yeah. you talk about uh, Stefan or Quell, you get real big. <laughs> so, so now let me ask you a question. How much of you are be- is being facetious? I know you love this movie a lot, but like, do you actually think it's a good movie? Um, I love this movie. When I was in film school, I gave it to one of my film professors in my first uh, film analysis class as a, an example of one of the movies that I really loved. Uh, I loaned it to him. What he said? How did he respond? Oh, he laughed. <laughs> I mean, like he appreciated it in a way that he could without, you know, going overboard about it. We didn't have like a long conversation, but um, we are still friends on Facebook. And do you, uh, you know. do you think it's weird that they never mention once uh, in the film that the sky is red? Um, well, it's Los Angeles. There's smog. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just think that's just a decision they made in LA post uh, later, so it wasn't in the script. Uh, now, listen, the other I, thing that I have another problem with this film, it stars uh, Robert Beltran, mm-hmm. um, who I've hated for years for being such a terrible fucking actor from the Star Trek as Chakotay, the most boring actor and character alive. And even when he's playing a uh, gun-toting, zombie-killing Mexican, he's still incredibly boring. This man is like Benjamin Bratt if you removed like a soul and any sense of sex appeal. That's what you'd get is this guy. I don't know. He's doing a real Gary Cooper thing and uh, he's supposed to be an everyman. He's a Mexican American truck driver. You know, they're, they've got a lead uh, who's uh, a real uh, blue collar everyman. I mean, what do you want? I don't know. He, he can't act for shit. I kind of want someone who can act for shit and he can't even act for like one dried turd. I believed everything about his role. Okay. All right. Now, my... I mean, he wasn't my favorite person in the film, and I definitely didn't think he was cute, even when I was little. But, um, like, yeah, he he's really not cute. He was not, like, you know, posters on the wall out of Teen Beat magazine. But, um, I thought he was kind of hunky. <laughs> I mean, my favorite, my favorite guy in the movie is the grumpy, uh, theater owner. Mm. He, he's got a few good jokes and she's like a really shitty employee i would have fired her and he doesn't he has a soft spot for her. he's kind of nice but he's not creepy nice well see that's so, what i like about this movie it really uh it um uh, you know typically in a horror or sci-fi movie or apocalypse movie you know we're getting um beat down by our guilt for all the bad things we do and this one celebrates that it celebrates premarital sex and being a bad employee and being um you know, having a hissy fit over not having all of the high score records on. Tempest. Well, let's let's talk and, about that. Uh, now. Let's talk about the DMK thing. That's the button of this film. It mm-hmm. starts off. She's. It's the weird thing. It's a little bit weird. She's pissed off. Not that somebody else. Back. It's not that somebody else has the highest score on Tempest that's driving her. Mm-hmm. She's pissed off that somebody else has like the sixth 
highest score on Tempest. I That's guess right. she wants one through ten. Yeah. And the sixth score is uh, DMK. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny Mason Keener. And and as it turns out at the end, DMK we guess is is one another one of the last people alive who's because he's going to start uh, making it with her little sister. Mm-hmm. And um, is that there. is that really the satisfying resolution that this film thinks it is? I don't think that's supposed to be the satisfying resolution. The satisfying resolution is that they survived in a, a, a an apocalypse. They survived an attack by um, evil scientists and saved two children and are left to uh, repopulate the world and live their lives uh, forever and ever and do whatever the hell they want. Well, let's talk about that for a second. So, okay, we don't know how many people are alive in the world, but it's not a lot. It's a small number. And uh, they rescue a boy and a girl from this evil laboratory. Mm -hmm. And then they decide to basically, in the last scene, like Hector Gomez and last Starfighter chick said, hey, let's not only like sort of get married, let's basically adopt these like 13 year olds as our kid, even though we're like. 18 and she's I don't know 18. how old he's supposed to be. He's yeah, probably... she's she's like she's only like 5 years older than the children she's adopting, which is a little mm-hmm. weird. But here's the bigger problem. Well, I'm sorry. Wait, hold on. Is the... that a problem? Because what would you have them do? Just leave them to their own devices? Well, well, it doesn't mean no, but it's it's more than just like looking out for them. It's like now they're like a little nuclear family and here's my problem. That boy and girl, if they're if they're heterosexual, this might be their own. Each other might be their only chance at sex in the entire world. And now you're telling them they're brother and sister. It seems cruel. They were brother and sister. They were uh, already they brother were, and sister. Wait, what do you? How do you know that? They're from different. Yeah, I think they were popped from different places. The children were so. survivors. Also, I okay, he's Asian so. and he's an Aryan boy. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. We are we supposed to think? That that uh, last starfighter chick whose name I don't know and won't learn. Reggie. Catherine Mary Stewart, Regina, Reggie. Regina, Regina, vagina, Regina. Sorry, I got tongue up on the Bechtel test. Regina, are we supposed to think she survived because she was in a in a room with steel walls? The yeah, all of the room? all of the heroes were in a steel room. Wait, now wait, I didn't. I must miss something. Thing. How did little Becky Hotcakes, her little sister? Survive? I don't know why they didn't film that part, but she got after she got punched by the the step the evil stepmom. She went and slept in the shed. She yeah. went. Oh, the shed is good enough. Shed. So wait, wait, wait. A bunker filled with scientists is not good enough if the ventilation is open. But just like some place you keep your rake is hermetically sealed enough to save you from the uh, from well, the infection. It was a. Uh... Shed of the Reagan 80s made without any kind of ventilation. Also, uh, Hector slept in the back of his truck, which was also made of steel. All right, let me ask you another question. I want to understand how this dust works. Some people, this comet, some people, it instantly turns to dust. Mm Mm-hmm. But if it just kind of infects you, it slowly turns you into a zombie? Is that how this works? dust, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you eventually turn you to dust. You go through a zombie stage on your way to dust. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah, you got some exposure, but not full exposure. And and the thing I don't really understand is what do when you're in the zombie state, mm-hmm. what is it that you're actually seeking? They don't say brains. Do they want like non-dust blood or they I think just want just... a lint brush? What are they looking for in that I think state? You start going crazy and want to kill yeah. shit. 
yeah, you could see what, what's happening in the early stages with Mary Warnov as she's starting to lose her memory. Uh, you can see later stages with the guy in the alleyway who's just uh, wants to attack. Um, and then you sort of see a middle stage with the guy in the mall who's um, obviously been exposed but still has his faculties and he's just turned mean. All right, let me ask you this. I don't know if you're able to answer this question. I probably can. I'm pretty well, smart. It's not an intelligence question. <laughs> you saw this at a young age. Mm-hmm. It, it's 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 stamped on your DNA. It's got tremendous uh, sentimental value for you. But if you could just take a step back and give it like an objective grade, like one to ten, what really do you think this film is? Nine. Michael, seriously, now you're not your counselor now. You're just Mike Wiebe, uh, front man for the Draculas who released a fucking fantastic album this week. What do you give this one to ten? Um, I It's hard. It is very hard for me to take off my nostalgia glasses on this because I – watched this movie a thousand million times. It was just on a lot. Um, and I, I do mm-hmm. enjoy it. And I still, well, I watched I didn't it have today, cable, though, so I, and I, I enjoy I a lot of things guys. about it. Um, I think the things that I appreciate about it are the fact that it doesn't work. I'm going to go, I'm going to go seven, six, six to seven, probably six and a half. Wow. Okay, well, maybe I, I didn't see this in the 80s. Um, I'm, I'm giving it a two. Um, oh, wow. but, but, Can I say some but, things uh, that, I, that I like about it? Um, yeah, I'd love really to hear it. I'd me. love to. Um, yes. I, uh, I love, like, I, I think I could have, would be happier uh, as whole in the movie if it kind of just existed in the all, like, running around. I don't really like the last act inside the scientist place so much. I kind of like everything up to that. I like. Uh, I think the, I like that the best. I like the relationship between the two sisters a lot. Uh, I like. Uh, I like the. They're they're just back and forth, but they still kind of always have each other's backs because there's a bunch of times where it seems like oh she's gonna start hating her big sister because of the one guy, but they never like fully like turn on each other. And I'm telling you, okay. when I was a kid, those punk rockers in the in the mall in the mall there. Uh, mm-hmm. that we're going to play a game. It's called Scary Sounds. Yes, I, I hear that. Uh, I can see how now it's a little bit dated and doesn't quite work as well. But when I was a kid, that scene legitimately kind of freaked me out. It was the only scene in the movie too. that freaked me out. Um, the scary see, noise the, game. I guess, and now, yeah. I'm that much more happy because I realized today that, and I still don't know who the fuck the main stock boy punk rock new wave guy was. I looked it up and I don't know who he is, but uh, the blonde guy that gets shot that it, his, his own, when, when Reggie pulls him out, she's like, I've got one of your guys. And he right, goes, right. And he shoots the hostage. That yeah. guy, uh, that guy was in a punk rock classic movie, Suburbia. Yeah. Uh, and um, then the other, one of the other guys was this guy, Dick Rude, who was in all of, uh, he's in Repo Man. He's the guy with the mohawk in Repo Man that's robbing all the stores. Um, that's like the ex-friend of Emilio Estevez. So there's, I, I will love any movie that has like downtown LA in it, especially like downtown LA in the 80s. And which is one of the reasons I love going to LA now because I see little pieces of things that like I don't look at anything and go oh that's that's the that's where they shot that scene in Night of the Comet but everything was shot down there so everything kind of reminds me of it can I give you a little trivia? Because this movie was so low budget they didn't have the ability there was no CGI you couldn't like 
get rid of cars or background people and they didn't have the budget to like shut down a section of downtown LA. So they shot it at five 30 in the morning on Christmas morning. <laughs> they shot it on Christmas morning. Yeah, <laughs> and then also it is I a, was Chris- wondering. I it's was a Christmas wondering. movie, which is fantastic. I think, you know, when people talk about die hard or lethal weapon or long kiss goodnight or other uh, movies being a Christmas movie. This is also a Christmas movie. Takes I have place to say, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think, I don't think anyone talks about Long Kiss Goodnight. Um, I do. <laughs> we can have another fight about that later. <laughs> but, um, but let's let's forget about the fact, like children. Forget about the fact that I think like Road Warrior and 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 Strange Love. You and, love Road and, Runner. <laughs> yeah, I do. And let's and Children of Men and like a million other movies are better apocalypse movies. Just let, forget about that for a second. Let's talk about like just eighties films for a second. Like, have you ever seen a movie called Return of the Living Dead? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Dan O'Bannon. Totally. I, I like that movie. Yeah. I'm not talking about. I mean, I think it's a million times better than this because it's fucking funny. I laugh out loud at like th- at least three different scenes and it's still got punk rockers in it. It's all eighties. It's death. Like, I don't understand how return of the living dead. Isn't like the great eighties B movie apocalypse movie compared to this. Mm, well, I think you and I disagree on pretty much everything, uh, except for maybe one or two, uh, pop culture references so um we're just gonna have to agree to disagree you got the shop right guy you got the 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 corpse comes out it it buries the axe in its head and it just makes it mad like the half vivisected dog comes alive and it's like two legs are flapping on the medical supply board it's just a lot of funny things and then there's that sexy punk rock chick who does the the dance in the cemetery before she's devoured by zombies you know what i'm talking about right mike oh yeah right uh, linnea quigley i believe is the woman who does i saw that right right like the year i was going through puberty and it destroyed me um no so that's not a better movie all right how about um what's another 80s what's an 80s b movie apocalypse movie there's another one um i mean repo man is kind of uh, well this got me i read the cause of the success of repo man that Um, this this got green lit because of repo man they decided yeah, to take yeah, a chance. They're definitely the uh, repo, man. I there's some a couple '80s things that I I love so much in this, and kind of always have that crazy. Um, in the radio station, there's this giant like neon backdrop of like squiggly line people playing music, <laughs> flashing. And I I remember ever since I was a little kid, I'd look at that and go like, "Man, that'd be so cool to have in your room." And when I was watching it today, I was like, yeah, I would still absolutely have that. There's there's some amazing fashion, uh, you know, bright yellow tights with red leg warmers and socks with high heels. Um, There's some, you know, a lot of shoulder pads. Uh, There's the requisite fashion montage that you had to have in every 80s movie, which is fantastic. I gotta, I gotta say, during that fashion montage, they're playing "Girls Just Want to Have Fun," That's but right. it's up, it's not the Cindy Lauper version. Yeah, they yeah. only got the P copyright, not the C copyright, yes. and it drove me fucking insane. Well, the movie's budget was seven hundred thousand dollars. They didn't have was budget really? for anything. Yeah, they did. Like there were days they did their own makeup. Uh, there, you know, that was this was this guy's very first um, directing job uh you know they didn't have a budget for a lot of stuff i just think that was crazy though like that that they actually used the famous song but not 
that they use the sounds alike version. I would just would have gone like completely. Talk to the line producer. Man, that I, was, I, I'm completely sure that that, different I'm sure song. the budget to get that song at that point in time was fucking insane. It was probably like, more oh, than I, the entire budget I, of the film. I, I agree. I just would have used one of the other terrible like 80s songs that didn't no one's ever heard of before. It didn't than... bother me at all. It didn't huh. bother me at all. What about like Escape from New York, man? That's like a better 80s like apocalyptic no. movie. No. How about the, well, the Warriors? Well, the, the Warriors is kind of apocalyptic too. And the way you guys talk about this movie reminds me about how I felt about the Warriors. Like all the cool look about that and the uh, the Mad Furies with the ones who are like the black and white face paint. That That's the way I felt about them is the way you talk about these new wave mall guys. The, the Warriors were awesome. It was awesome. But um, if you want to talk about a apocalyptic Walter Hill movie, then you've got to talk about Streets of Fire, which is even better. I've actually never seen. Oh, oh my God. Wow. Oh, my God, Wayne. How yeah. are you judging anything if you haven't seen Streets of Fire? But now we're we're putting the corks back in the wine to save it for later. We're uh, screwing up the tops on the scotch. I'm putting back on my robe. We're getting up out of our beanbag chairs. I'm going to go to my bench, grab my gavel. You'll go to your lecterns. And we're going to close this up for closing statements. Counselor, in a minute, please summarize why Night of the Common is not the greatest apocalypse movie ever made. Night of the Comet is not the greatest apocalypse movie ever made. It's a good movie. It's a fun movie. But it doesn't capture the full horror of what it feels like to have the entire world gone maybe it's a little bit of los angeles but people are still having fun and being cute and and doing their hair and and that's fun it's a good time but uh we need to see epic scale of destruction and bleakness for all to see and apocalypse needs to end with uh, heartbreak and and desolation and the small small sliver of hope barely to be held on to. And also, I really wish Kelly Maroney would have uh, got topless in it when I was 12 years old. That would have really, that would have put put it over for the Yeah, story. but it was the 80s, so if she went topless, it would have had to be like someone non-consensually spying on her being topless. Well, I'm, I'm allowed to happen you're, in you're right. Movie. But that would have been okay with prepubescent yeah. little yeah. weebs. Yeah, we have a young a young Mike. Listen, an old Mike knows that that's not right. That's not appropriate. Yeah, and I cool. didn't need to have yeah, cool. that. But a young Mike kind of needed that. Yep. And a young Zach Brath would have watched that and be like, someday I'll write a movie where I get to jump on the girl. <sighs> okay, contrarian. Uh, you've heard uh, the counselor's words. Some of them were breast-based, but not all of them. Explain to this court in a minute. Why Night of the Comet is the greatest apocalypse movie ever made. Uh, Night of the Comet is the greatest apocalypse movie ever made. Uh, in the counselor's own words, it is one, fun, two, easy to masturbate to, and three, stands out <laughs> against the depressing and terrible movies that Wayne likes. Um, <laughs> Who's this Wayne? We're certainly not, surely not speaking to Justice Gladstone. Is Wayne maybe your dog or some close friend that you use the usted form of Spanish with? Your Honor, will I be allowed to make my closing argument? <laughs> Uh, I, I'm not sure if you can without defaming my honor. Um, uh, is honor's honor. <laughs> fine. Um, it is inspired reviews such as 
great movie, quote, great movie, almost see yourself in that situation, end quote. Another great five-star review is, quote, arrived on time and in good condition, end quote. <laughs> and a, a third and really powerful review on Amazon is, quote, I've been wanting this ever since it came out. Thanks to my niece getting me an Amazon gift card for Christmas. I got it, end quote. When you compare it, to some of the movies that you've mentioned, Dr. Strangelove, that movie had a budget of $1.8 million and it was directed by Stanley Kubrick. You can't compare that. That's not apples to apples. This thing is amazing on a $700,000 budget. Look at Mad Max Fury Road. They spent $185 million making that movie, and it only has a 66% of five-star uh, it does Amazon reviews, whereas That's this insane. one has seventy-seven percent or seventy-nine percent. I take I've that. I've never back. met anyone who didn't like that movie. That's insane. Um, Mad Max, the original, only had a sixty-one percent of five-star no, reviews. Yeah, really like Beyond movie. Thunderdome, only sixty-eight percent. Insane. Uh, without CGI, with only practical effects, with uh, futures and amazing stars like Kelly Maroney and Catherine <laughs> Mary Stewart, <laughs> Jeffrey Lewis, Mary, the great Mary Warren of who improvised and wrote her own death scene in that movie. This thing is going to, it continues to stand the test of time. And I, I will say that while you don't get to see any actual titties, <laughs> you do get to see Kelly Maroney in bra and underwear more than once. Yeah. So I feel like you can suck a dick. I rest my case. Well, I'm going to go back to Chambers, put on my tight uh, black leather pants, my skinny leather tie with a keyboard on it, uh, my Ray-Ban sunglasses. I'm going to play with a Rubik's Cube, uh, rock out a few rounds of Cubert, and be back with my decision. Counselors, contrarians, I'd like to thank you for your scholarship, your energy, your zeal. Uh, I think uh, the contrarian made some of her strongest points, uh, actually in her closing when she challenged this court to sort of view the concept of quality through a uh, cost and effect analysis. That if these other films only had X to work with, would have they been that great? Take how much they invested and see what you ended up with and kind of call this the greatest film of all time by how much bang for the buck it got. Uh, other things she was saying is that it was a leader in the um, strong female protagonist. She certainly has that going for it. Uh, this uh, officer of the court's favorite scene certainly was the clip she played where uh, uh, our protagonist uh, threatens to kick a zombie's ass and does kick his ass. And in the spirit of Reagan's 80s, it was a black man who got his ass kicked. Uh, and not, not saying that's why the contrarian likes it so much, but it is just Reagan's America. Um, on the other hand, the counselor 
found it harder to masturbate to than he would have liked. Mm -hmm. Uh, The counselor also talked about a disparity between maybe act three problems. And although the film does definitely seem somewhat disjointed, I personally found act three, the uh, most interesting part of the movie and that actress that the contrarian named her death scene, probably the only other film scene in the film that, that uh, I liked. Um, So, I must confess that I leave this hearing liking Night of the Comet more than I did coming in. But has the contrarian proven that next to Night of the Comet, films like Children of Men and Road Warrior and uh, Dr. Strangelove uh, pale in comparison? I don't think so, because the main argument seems to be they're boring and depressing and I suck. (laughs) and and while all those things may be true they're not binding legal precedent sufficient for me to rule in her favor so while she did stand admirably and extol night of the comet believably this court does not find her tearing down of the classics sufficient to deem night of the comet the greatest apocalypse movie of all time. Case goes to the counselor. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm. I'm gonna. I feel like I'm gonna have to appeal this because just based on the case made by the counselor, he more often made my point for me than uh, than made a point against it. And I but- think this is obviously a situation where the judge needed to recuse himself because of personal bias and you ruled based on your own opinions not on the facts presented in front of you in fairness uh contrarian the counselor does have a deep fear of confrontation (laughs) (laughs) if you next time you want to enjoy a popcorn movie you know put on children of men and weep for the end of humanity i don't care I'm personally, I'm personally going to uh, put on my one of my two DVD versions or the streaming copy that I own of Nine of the Comet and watch it for a hundred and fifth time. I have to say, it's also available for free on YouTube, which is how I watched it in preparation for this case. Yeah, it's also free on Pluto TV and Tubi TV. Tubi, I watched it Tubi. on Tubi today. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for your time. You are welcome back in this court. Anytime, uh, Ms. Ratliff, uh, it was a pleasure having you. Now go to jail. You go to jail. 